Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Omie's Corner. And on this week's episode, we are kicking off one of the things I've been really, really excited about doing for this podcast. And that is the creation of my degree workshops in the month of November. So this month, I have rounded up a series of people currently in... UK universities studying a variety of degrees and essentially I'll be interviewing them asking them the questions that you would most like to know such as the application process how are they finding studying the degree in general demystifying higher education so on today's episode I have not just one but two amazing amazing guests and I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves one by one so Without further ado, take it away. Hi, um, I'm Ella and I'm Emily. <laughs> and we both study anthropology. Social anthropology. Social anthropology, yeah. So essentially today's um, episode is going to be delving into anthropology as a whole. What made them want to study this degree? Um, what is what has their experience been like so far? The application process, giving you guys an insight into anthropology as a whole. So, I suppose where we, I'd like to begin is just a bit more in depth about both of you, um, Ella and Emily, in terms of the beginning of your journey, if you like. So, where did your interest in anthropology come from? What A levels did you study? What kind of led up to um, you now studying this degree? So whoever wants to go first. Um, so I I kind of was one of the the ones that never had that that level of confusion. I kind of always knew I wanted to do social anthropology. Um, I took a gap year, uh, which I think kind of kind of confirmed it for me. Um, so when I did my levels, I did history, English literature and psychology, which I kind of always explain to people as a combination of those results in social anthropology, um, which I think mm-hmm. is a good way of, of describing it, because, you know, you've got the analytical side and you've got the research side and, you know, the social science parts and everything. Um, so, I, I mean, I loved my levels and it was amazing, but I had... I'd read quite a lot. I mean, I think a lot of people know about, um, what's his name? Noah Harari. Yeah. Sapiens. Yeah. Um, mm. It's like a book that, it was the first kind of so, social anthropological book that became mainstream. Because um, mm. usually they're quite, they're inaccessible. A lot of the anthropological writings are very inaccessible. Even now at like, yeah. degree level, it can be quite confusing, like the words they use. But it's like, it was mm. a very mainstream kind of in the forefront of, of literature at the time. So when I read that, that was kind of the first moment I was like, wow, this is this is really this is really something because yeah. you know, we're quite nosy creatures, you know. And what I love about yeah. is like it gives you the opportunity to be really nosy, really <laughs> nosy. <laughs> like nosy, be it into a specific person or a specific culture or society, whatever. You can just really get have a little poke around. Um, and mm. so when I was applying for for uni I knew I was going to do social anthropology mainly because of that book and also just an interest the general interest um I grew up in a very diverse area like Tottenham in in London it's, it's mm. very diverse so mm-hmm. I kind of grew up around people that I knew came from different cultures than I did um and such like much richer cultures than I've ever experienced in my life so I kind of had a curiosity from the get-go um about other other cultures um so that kind of fed into my my interest um, and then when I applied, um, I just, I, I knew the uni I wanted to go to and everything like that. Um, but I, very last minute after having, it was supposed to be a holiday, or not holiday, it was supposed to be just like my summer experience. I went to Thailand for a month and mm. I was doing like a real cultural immersion thing there and stayed with a homestay family. And I loved it and thought I need to do more of this. And I knew that it would aid me in my like, degree when I came to do it in a year's time I knew that like social anthropology is all about kind of like immersing yourself in a culture so I went on to like travel um and I do think travel is a key component in any anthropologist's life mm-hmm. um mm. so it just kind of like deepens the understanding and like under like the respect 
um, that you have for other cultures that aren't your own. Um, so I don't really remember much about the application process. You <laughs> pass and everything. Um, no, funny. that's fine. No worries at all. That's honestly it really, really does. But um, what you were saying about your gap year I found really really fascinating mm. because I think often it can seem as though there's a very linear path of how you get to higher education you sure. do your a level you do DCSEs a levels degree you just everything keeps on moving so yeah. in terms of your gap year just to kind of derail and and delve into a bit more detail for a while um one of the things I think is really important on this podcast is to explain to people the practicalities so what did it actually take practically to do a gap year in terms of organization mm-hmm. finances um in terms of your application like what did you defer entry or did you apply later just kind of give us a bit more of an insight into what taking a gap year meant to you practically okay um so i was i'm i like to pride myself on not having taken a gap year mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and was the few that um <laughs> don't come from money so um mm. when I when I, I had saved up and I raised money on like a GoFundMe to get to Thailand and like I said it was um it was I had my place at uni and it was all set up for me and I was ready to go after the summer was over because this was year 13 summer for me which was just the year before um mm. yours and I went to Thailand for a month fell in love with it and came back and I went to Dublin with my family because that's where they're from. And I had a real kind of change of heart. And I just thought, listen, uni's been my dream for the longest time, but it's not going anywhere. And this opportunity to travel might. Uh, so mm. I was talking to my mum about it. And she wasn't very on board with the idea at first. Because, you know, yeah. I kind of was the academic one in the family. And everyone was just scared that if I went travelling, I would never go to uni. Um, mm. And I'd get my travel bug. So I came up with this elaborate plan which <laughs> realistically never would have worked but I pitched it to my whole family and said this is what I'm gonna do I'm gonna work for like two months and by like November I'm gonna be gone I'm gonna go travel the world South East Asia and all sorts um but obviously the reality of that set in when I got back home to London and I had to really think about finances because I could afford Thailand which made great for money but I didn't have any savings. My parents weren't, they're not in a financial situation to be able to help me with that, um, especially when they weren't even on board. So I knew, okay, I need to send my CVs out. Um, so mm-hmm. I was on a rapid hunt for a job and I could feel my gap year already slipping away. And um, so it was September at this point. And um, I had, I didn't defer my place because my mum said, if this all goes wrong, I want you to still make your way to uni. Um, so I didn't defer and I just let it slip by and I let it slip by and I did try to and they said there's too many deferrals for your year group so you're gonna have to just withdraw so I withdrew and that was kind of okay this is final now I have to make this year count I can't let it like slip me like you know pass me by so I luckily found a job at a bar and I worked there for four months and I gathered the tips and I saved every penny um Mm. and I worked 12 hour shifts back to back you know, wow. it wasn't that glamorous for me at the beginning. And I thought, listen, it's the means to an end. It's the means to an end. You just have to, like, give yourself that pep talk. Because if you want to travel, like, you have to put the hard work in. And it is accessible. Yeah. And I, I really, I feel quite down in dumps when people talk about traveling as a, a, as a privileged thing to do. Because it's very accessible if you if you really try and if you really put your mind to it. Um, mm. So I worked for those four months. And then December came. And I had gathered a good few grand. And I booked a ticket to Costa Rica and in January I flew off and I backpacked around there for a month on my own. And um, I thought, oh, I'm going to stay here. I'm not going to leave. And, you know, you meet amazing people and you just think, God, this could be my life forever. And you forget about uni momentarily. And Mm. the time comes, you have to come home. Um, And then I, so I had been doing training. I don't know if you heard of ICS um i don't think so no what is it um so it's my it was it's an international citizen service so i know a lot of people people do ncs um Mm. and they kind of gear you at the end of ncs for when you turn 18 doing ics and i had always wanted to do it and i just thought if i go to uni i won't be able to so i kind of i had written it off um but i thought listen i'm gonna apply so i applied 
and I did some training, rigorous training. Um, and basically the prospect of it is they send you to countries where the government has called out them. Um, so it's not a kind of like white savior thing of going into these underprivileged mm. countries and and you know, oh, I'm gonna fix it and then I'm gonna leave. It's mm. very much, you know, their local government or their village council has requested aid and they run the whole project they tell you what to do you know we we don't go in it's very much led by them and um, which i do yeah. think very much to social anthropology in a way if we're going to bring it back to that because you know you have to go into the culture respect that they have their own ways of doing things um, and exactly. even though you might be studying them or you might be working alongside them or anything like that and um, so then i went to tanzania for two months and i volunteered there um, which is government funded, so it didn't. I didn't spend anything out of my own pocket, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. But there was quite a rigorous application process for it. Um, and then because of Corona, obviously that cut my gap year short. Um, I see. So I had to come back in March, and then I was thinking, you know, I've got to reapply for uni, and I did that, and I had to write my personal statement again. But this time, I was in a point of, I was in a position to be able to draw upon my own experiences. Um, and that and like kind of tie that in with social anthropology as I said so that was what my personal statement kind of surrounded um, with my travels and my desire to travel um, and I was lucky enough to, to get one more travel excursion in before I came to uni in September um, because I almost didn't come in. as my mother was worried she thought I'd catch the travel bug I did and I, <laughs> I almost let it pass me by again but here we are <laughs> wow that is absolutely amazing honestly I think <laughs> it's so cool to hear realistically what your gap year was like the actual the, the energy it took to get to that mm-hmm. point in the first place oh yeah um, very glamorous <laughs> yeah and I, I like that because even in my head as somebody who does want to travel a lot in the future it's definitely yeah. a consideration of ah this doesn't seem realistic financially yeah. but to, yeah. for you to be able to kind of demonstrate that it is is possible is really really helpful cool so emily thank you so much for kind of giving us a background detail into your process your gap year so on and so forth now ella would you like to just delve into your experience of from year 12 going into anthropology just let us know what happened um so yeah i wish i could say that i was as certain as emily was but i I honestly had no clue when it came to university. I knew that I really wanted to go and I knew that there were so many things that I I was interested in, but I had no clue what I wanted to do. Um, So when Mm. I was doing my A-levels, everyone was like, oh, you've got to, you know, you've got to streamline your A-levels towards a degree. Um, And I panicked and I did one from every section. So I did biology, geography, English lit and music. And (laughs) I had a music scholarship. So I was like, okay, that's a definite. And I love writing essays, but I also love learning about all the people that live on the land in geography. And I also want to know what's happening in people's heads and people's bodies when they do things. And I was like, Mm. what do I love from all of those subjects? So I like how music makes you feel and how it makes you behave in the world. I like how, you know, how people interact with the land, et cetera, et cetera. And I just thought, what's the best subject to put them together? And I came up with social anthropology because... I wanted to know why, how people do things and how the differences are displayed across the world. So I just thought, let me see how to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I think another difference to Emily is that I do like traveling, but I don't like traveling at the same time. I'm a very <laughs> home person. Like I yeah. love East London. You can't really catch me outside of there a lot. Me even going to South London is a bit of a trek. And I mean, it's fascinating. It's a beautiful place, but you know, travel is always my thing. And I thought, damn, this is going to be, you know, a big prohibitor to me wanting to do anthropology. But what I realised is that um, when when speaking and watching like things online about the subject, it was really about you just observing the things around you. And I think Mm. from a very early age, I've been very fascinated by how and why people do things and how they get to where they are. Um, And even in like the different circles that's around me, um, like from my upbringing, 
to now, I've always been fascinated at on how the micro kind of societies work around me and how we fall into different systems. So, yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily the one to, you know, travel the world, go to Thailand, mm. go to Costa Rica, as much as that sounds mm. absolutely fascinating. But um, you can definitely catch me in the future with a clipboard hanging around Hackney and looking at <laughs> things happening there. But yeah, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I will. I also wanted to mention that I do, I do social anthropology at the moment with sociology. So I do okay. it as joint honours, but I am majoring in anthropology. So that is my my main focus yeah I see cool so Emily you're just doing so social anthropology right uh, no so I'm doing social anthropology with development so it kind of brings in a, a sustainability aspect to to the whole the whole thing I see so just to kind of ask because I personally don't know when you say you major in so mm-hmm. are you both doing four is it a four-year course because you're in Scotland yeah. right yeah okay so we both go to the University of Edinburgh and how they do it in Scotland is that they do four years because in yeah. Scotland you can join university at 17 for Scottish students. So it's a four year course and you can decide to do one subject or two. And I've heard of some people even doing three. Um, oh, wow. One that you decide to major in. So it's double the lectures, but doubly as interesting, basically. I see. Yeah. So you're it's not like three years social anthropology one year sociology you're doing them simultaneously yeah simultaneously and a lot of how the course is designed is that the lectures will inform each other so okay. a lot of what I'm doing in sociology is just a baseline for my main focus in social anthropology yeah okay cool no that makes a lot of sense so in terms of the both of you, I love the kind of matchup we've got here because we have someone who was pretty sure from early on, like, this is what I want to do. And someone else who didn't know what they wanted to do, but chose A-levels that they cared about and then saw how to draw them together, which I think is really important. Um, and it really is an example of the advice we give so often, but that people still ignore, which is that you should pick A-levels that you like. Um because it it will really help your your final university choice decision thingy magic. <laughs> so yeah. Um so we've spoken about kind of your journey to anthropology if we like. It sounds very mystical, like you're going to a magical <laughs> land. But um now let's talk a bit about um personal statements and choosing unis. So obviously we know that this can be some of the most difficult or most stressful part of the process of going to university. You've got to cram why you love the subject into 4,000 characters. You have to pick five places, some places you, you visited, you've seen for a day or a couple of hours and you have to make a decision as to whether this is the place where you want to carry out your higher education. So in terms of whoever wants to go first, you can go in terms of just discussing what was it like in the application process? Was it stressful for you? Um, Any tips that you have? And just in terms of picking those five choices. So whoever wants to go first. Um, So I personally really enjoyed the the process and I'm going to I'm going to draw upon when I did it the first time round. Um, when I was in year 13 um, because I had to do it a second time um, I remember it was a very stressful time like just the energy in school the atmosphere was um, very high like it was oh high my energy. gosh it was and terrible college. it was so like that was toxic it was, it was bad. very toxic <laughs> um, because you it think was it just so much down, you think well literally you know, if I get this wrong that's it I've ruined my life um, mm. and what the teacher's instilling you um but I kind of I kind of assumed a very relaxed um mindset towards it because I mean like I said I was sure about what I wanted to do and I had visited Edinburgh on the open day and immediately fell in love with it I knew it's where I belonged it was calling out to me so it was kind of like things were just kind of lining up for me um but I do remember um my application process was quite difficult in terms of my personal statement because I was um one of the few in my college that were picked by the headmaster to kind of be guided towards Oxbridge. Um, 
and I knew that wasn't right for me so that I was going along to all these kind of like group sessions about personal statements for Oxbridge and that process um, but I was kind of faking it the whole time because I knew that wasn't the path I wanted to go down um, mm. but it did give me a lot of um, help and like the advice they gave me really helped me for like writing my personal statement the first time around and I remember that you know running around to all my different teachers after school hours and saying can you read this over for me can you remember this? <laughs> and they wouldn't get back to you or they'd email you late and it was a whole mess um but I remember um really struggling as to what to put in my personal statement because you know as someone who's quite sure what they want well, well, what I wanted to do I just thought well why can't I just say I want to do it and that's it like why do I have to prove myself to them yeah. why do I have to kind of convince them I want to do it so bad you know I'm telling you I want to do it so just trust mm-hmm. me you know um so I felt like a bit of a fraud you know that kind of like um you know it's a bit cringy that you have to brag about yourself in a way um yeah. and I did draw upon that book I mentioned earlier sapiens um because mm. I, I wanted to be as honest as possible um, so I don't really recall that personal statement all that much, but um, I do remember the one I rewrote when I applied a second time round. Um, yeah. And I spoke about my travels. I spoke about traveling and I spoke about that. So I think if I was going to give any advice to someone currently going through the process or going to be going through the process is try and be as honest as you can because you're going to feel like a fraud and you're going to feel a little bit, a little bit silly um, kind of bragging about yourself so much and you know selling yourself to someone because that's essentially what it is you're trying to sell yourself to this university um even if they are ones that you don't really care about and you've got that one like I did that you're kind of aiming towards which does put more pressure on because you know you're like if I don't get in here I'm not going to be happy anywhere else um yeah but I think just keep an open mind in terms of picking universities as well because it's not going to help if you are so streamlined like that um but yeah I think yeah be honest talk about yourself in a very honest and blunt way and that's about it really um jazz yourself up a little bit but just stick true like stay true to yourself when you're when you're discussing it yeah no definitely I completely agree with that especially the part about um being honest um because it will it does feel weird because the the aim of your personal statement you're trying to say I am the best at this yeah you should so that can be very awkward especially if you're not used to being in a position where you have to sell yourself mm-hmm. so um that is really really useful advice so we've heard from emily about the application process and her key tips and advice um ella it's over to you what was it like uh writing a personal statement how did you pick your unis tell us about the process and any of your top tips okay so um quite similar to similarly to Emily but instead I I did actually want to go I applied to Cambridge and then the other four were Bristol Edinburgh where I am now St Andrews and Goldsmith um and Mm. yeah when I was doing my application process I won't lie looking back on it now I was a bit cocky everyone had Mm. their own you know people that they had to go to you know giving their things to the teachers getting them to read over their personal statements and I just sat down and thought, you know what? A personal statement's a mix of my personal life and a CV. Let me just start typing. So I made mm. a random essay about my life that sounded like absolute rubbish. <laughs> and, um, I had hardly any reading in there, but I was just, you know, it was like a like a biography. I was just talking about my life story and why I'm so great. Da, 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 da. And I remember <laughs> reading it over after, you know, a half term of work and being like, how the heck did I end up here? And then the mm. Cambridge deadline was fast approaching, and I remember frantically running around everywhere, like, I need to read books, I need to say that I'm literate. They don't know, they don't know. So there's a little bit of a panic, but I managed to get it done. And I think the thing that helped me the most was even though it was a mistake at first, but just talking about my life and the mundane things and the little things that you know the personal struggles of what you've overcome the things that you've observed and then specifically linking that to anthropology how I felt what I saw and how you can apply it to your future um, in those moments and then link that back to some reading and what someone else did in their life and just showing 
you don't have to show that you know you're Einstein. You just need to show that you can draw links between two things and that you're relatively qualified. And I think people, you know, even though it is good to put a lot of pressure on yourself when writing this personal statement, because it does feel like a big deal, it's always very important to remember that it is a personal statement and it's called personal yeah. for a reason. So you comparing yourself to the, the thousands of other people in your year group probably exactly. isn't the best thing because everyone's got a different story to tell. Everyone wants to yeah. get to the same places, but you know, how you do it is very different for every person. And telling your truth and like Emily said, being honest is so important because, you know, people, you know, these people that have been do reading applications from these universities have been doing it for years and they can smell when you're telling a lie and they can smell when you've mm -hmm. cleaned and copied and pasted something from, you know, the personal um, statement templates online. So, you know, just exactly. be honest. And yeah, I think that's the most important thing. But um, when specifically like looking at universities, I mm. knew that I wanted to get as far away from London as possible and <laughs> do somewhere really different that was financially feasible. And St Andrews, which is at the edge of the world to me, and Edinburgh <laughs> was the best place to do that. Um, yeah. And uh, I just thought those are the places for me. So I kind of held them at the top. Um, and then Bristol was also an amazing city and Goldsmiths was in London. I knew I kind of didn't want to be in London, but I knew it was great for my course. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think the most important thing when you're applying to uni is you've got to think about the best and worst case scenario. And if you're like me, where you just think, you know, if you don't get into your university of choice and you take a gap year, you're never going, then you've got to make sure that mm -hmm. you put down are at least places that you can see yourself adapting to. Because, you know, yeah. especially with this pandemic, me and you, Omi, have experienced it. The horror stories mm -hmm. that we saw on results day of people not <sighs> getting to where they wanted to get to and then frantically mm -hmm. calling up left, right and centre every university yeah. under the sun because they knew they wouldn't be comfortable in their backup unis um mm. yeah you've got to really think don't think about necessarily the prestigious uni think about you living there because you've got to live there for the next three years of your life exactly you're going to form exactly. in a city or a place that is far away from home and you've got to live there so it's not only about the academics about it's about you i think that's the most, mind sure. most prominent bit of advice I couldn't yeah. agree with you more. I mean, you you guys are even talking about like three years, four years, like because I'm doing medicine, I'm the next six, seven years of my life will be mm. in this higher wow. education. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? When you think about it, it's crazy because it's a it's, it's a very, very long period of time. It's like the period from secondary school to the end of sixth form. That's how long it wow. is. Imagine from when we were like 11 to what, 18. It's the same kind of time frame. So I couldn't agree with you more. Can you visualize yourself in this place? What do you know about this era? Is it financially sustainable for you to live here? Um, another point you said that I really related to was, you know, when you're writing your personal statement and you're running around like I haven't read books. Yeah, that yeah. statement I couldn't relate more. It was hilarious because I was literally like, guys, I need a book. I haven't read a book. Um, and sometimes it's the part about not comparing your personal statement to other people's is potentially one of the most crucial points. Um, simply because it it will make you adapt your personal statement in a way that doesn't that isn't personal to mm. you. So mm. even that kind of frantic panic of me running around trying to find books, um, it was it was dishonest to myself because really and truly I knew I had a collection of experiences that demonstrated that I could study medicine. And mm. just because other people had a plethora of books in their personal statement, it didn't make them any more or any less qualified. Right. to do this degree I just had to say these are the experiences I have where can I what can I draw from them how can I demonstrate that this is the degree I want to study so I completely completely agree with everything you guys have <laughs> said so um the next part I kind of want to go into is what has it been like so this is obviously a big big question 
I want us to really go into what have the first couple of weeks of uni been like, both socially and academically. Uh, obviously, we're studying during a pandemic. And mm-hmm. The joys of self-isolation, I have done twice now. I'm not angry, <laughs> oh, I'm not saying. And um, let's just generally get into what uni has been like so far for you guys in terms of the course of anthropology and a more social aspect. So whoever wants to go first, be free. Um, so I had a bit of an unconventional start. <laughs> and mm. I, my flat, Ella's going to be like, God, this again. <laughs> um, but I was still in Costa Rica when freshers had already begun. Um, so I got back to the UK um, and didn't even know if I had a place to live in Edinburgh I still had my place I didn't know if I had a place to live because I cancelled my accommodation because I didn't think I was coming Um, Mm. and within those two days that I was back in the UK I was frantically calling and I was like please just give me any like manky hole in a wall I'll live (laughs) in it I'll take anything anything you got um that desperation kicked in just to like get there and kind of settle in knowing yeah. that we've already begun meeting each other and I was missing out on that um, exactly which is a really crucial part of the beginning of university and kind of forming those friendships um and so I was like starting to get really worried about that uh, luckily my place that I had before in Salisbury Court which is where we're living um was still available for me so I I thought god I must have done something right in a past life because <laughs> it's just all working out so I landed back it on the Tuesday on the Wednesday I want to say and I had moved to Scotland on the Saturday um and it was all very fast I had only the clothes I had with me on my back that I brought to Costa Rica so <laughs> you can imagine lots of yeah. flowy skirts and little shorts and I was yeah. the bloody north of the world like <laughs> like coming up to Edinburgh um, with sandals and whatnot um so that's all I had to my name when I got here and everyone had already like I was worried about kind of formed those bonds because I was a week late um and I'd missed freshers I arrived on the last night of freshers um so I really thought I was behind and I thought I'm gonna be isolated here and I'm not gonna make those connections that these people are because they were telling stories and I was just like getting FOMO for something that I was just didn't need to because it was still only a week into university of course it hadn't even started yet um mm. so I was kind of like trying to force myself to settle in even though I had none of my actual belongings um and I feel like I was talking everyone's ear off about that for like the few weeks um, that I had nothing I was like I don't have anything I don't even have pajamas <laughs> I didn't even have pajamas imagine that yeah. um so a bit of a mess but that says a lot about me so um I I I did struggle a little bit, but I was very lucky with my flat. And I think a a good piece of advice for anyone worried about moving to uni, whether they're late or not, um, would just be, you know, everyone's a lot nicer than you think they're going to be. You know, everyone's Mm. in the exact same boat as you. They're still going to be open to making new friends. The whole point of the beginning of university, you know, Um, we focus a lot on kind of the social aspect for a reason. Um, and just stay open-minded because I was kind of closing myself off and I wasn't showing my true side. I was trying to like not fit in, but I was just trying to like force myself to do things maybe I didn't want to do. Um, and you know, trust your flatmates because they'll take care of you. They'll yeah. take care of you. I've <laughs> yeah. been very lucky. Very so. <laughs> lucky. Cool, cool, cool. And um, how about like the actual now that you've settled in, kind of? Yeah what's the course of anthropology like how's it going um so obviously it's a very unique way of doing this so anyone listening that's like done social anthropology maybe for a year maybe a second year it's going to be a very different process um so all of our lectures are online pre-recorded mm. so we can watch oh, we can watch right. them whenever we want <laughs> i'm sorry emily but i'm going to have to stop you there i'm gonna have to do a little bit <laughs> of a rant about pre-recorded <laughs> lectures okay so you hear you hear pre-recorded lectures right and you think yeah. yes i can do this yeah. whenever i want i've got all the time i can take uh, my notes yeah it's it not is. all sunshine and rainbows i i have never been so desperate for a zoom call in my life yeah <laughs> human <is> interaction <laughs> oh you don't understand it's just so like 
Mm. It's this idea that because there is the freedom of I can do this whenever I want, your motivation, there's zero structure. Your motivation goes down to like a zero. Yeah. And it's literally a thing of you. I saw this thing on Instagram. I'm ra- I'm rambling, but this needs to be heard. I saw this <laughs> on Instagram, right? People need to know. So there's like the, it's like a cartoon character. And they basically come out of their bed, move the clothes on their chair onto their bed, sit on their chair, sit at their desk, and then just rotate those things. Just all oh, day. <laughs> and that is literally me. And yeah. there's just, there's a lack of like... I'm not a good online learner. So no, having only so self-motivation. Honestly, I mean I you guys have seen completely pre-recorded. I mean, I have like one or two or three live lectures a week. And for me, those are like the highlight of my week. Because <laughs> I feel like I'm taking in the information. I can yeah. ask the questions You're I've engaging. got on my mind. I'm engaging. Mm-hmm. Someone's asking yeah. me, what bone is this? And I'm like, I know, because I did the prep. Yeah, I, can prove like, it. I can prove that I did it um so yeah but that was a miniature rant so I slightly digressed there let you guys <laughs> know about the power of pre-recorded lectures and, and you know stress but um Emily you were talking about the the course of anthropology so please continue yeah. um so yeah despite the inconvenience of like corona and everything um I mm. think they've, they've managed to portray uh social anthropology very well in the first like few lectures i remember my first lecture that i sat down and watched and uh, no it could have been the second one and it, yeah. it had something about beyonce and jay-z yeah and Honestly, it, i've never been happier then, no i knew from then i was like okay yeah, <laughs> this is something i would watch in my spare time mm. you know so it, it they really they really kind of grasped that um accessibility and like because they know that we were so far away from the lectures and everything, they knew to kind of engage with us in the right way. So I think they did that very well. Um, and they basically just took a social anthropological stance on Jay-Z. Um, what is it called? Um, it's, one of the songs. it's got a swear word in it, so I won't say it. But you know the one where they're in the Louvre, they do the music video in the Louvre, yeah. and they're standing in front uh, of the Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Which yeah, is Meghan Markle, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That one. And I it's know. all about you know reversing black people being in frame yeah. rather than them you know holding up holding, holding the, up the building. The for someone. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, so they they that's the kind of that's going to give you a glimpse of what our course is like. Mm. Um, it's very much. I mean, I think a lot of people joke around and us ourselves are guilty of it, kind of saying, yeah, it's kind of easy, whatever. But it's only <laughs> it's easy because we're so naturally just interested in it. Yeah. So I yeah. think that, that's all it is. It's just that you know we're we're seeing this as something we would just watch for fun and that yeah. goes again along with the kind of um how difficult it is that there's no structure because I'm like well if I just want to watch this whenever I'm going to watch this that's not cool I'm just gonna yeah. like do it whenever um but exactly. so we, we have like an abundance of lecturers and they will kind of give us so ours is the life course this is the first kind of like module um for is the entirety of the semester one yeah semester one yeah so the entirety oh, cool. of the one is is the life course so, you know, we discussed topics like... Um, we went from conception mm-hmm. and now we're all the way at marriage. So we did, you know, birth, how people do that in different countries yeah. and different cultures, mm-hmm. um, relationships, um, childhood. The role of the um, Yeah, role of father, role of mother. And we're going all the way through until, you know, death, bereavement, um, et cetera. That's so yeah. interesting. Just mm. going through like the whole process of life and how. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just um I'm thinking about it. I'm like, oh, very very. Um, you, you you may you may you may yet no I'm joking I'm joking I, I will I will no you might yeah I'm joking um so, yeah no that's really really interesting and um one point I wanted to ask have you had like any assessments so far what has yeah. that been like yeah you had assessments how did it go yeah so. <laughs> We have midterms and then final terms, and we just did our midterms. Um, they were fine. Yeah. They was we had to do a mini <laughs> essay. Two thousand words. Two thousand words. It really wasn't that long. And then okay, the same thing for our um supporting minors. So I did one yeah. for sociology, and yeah, mm. and it was it was okay. It wasn't that bad. They weren't really 
ask you for anything that you didn't know already. They were just checking that you understood what you've done so far. And it was also a yeah. sort of COVID thing, like seeing how well you're dealing with the course. Um, yeah, so yeah. It wasn't the end of the world. It definitely wasn't as hard as A levels. And I don't know if this is a unique experience, but mm. I definitely think that A levels and GCSEs, the whole fact of spreading your mind out over, you know, however many subjects that you're not all equally engaged with, to it's now where I'm doing something that I truly love, this is so easy. Like, not <laughs> necessarily work wise, because the work is hard. Is mm. interesting, but um, it's so much easier to just you know really enjoy what you're doing and put the right exactly. energy into it. No, mentally, yeah. it's so much easier to engage because you see something you love and something that mm -hmm. you can engage with later. Especially for me, because in a way, my degree will eventually be my job. So mm -hmm. it, it's yeah. um, it's even though I'm finding it challenging, I won't deny it. It's a lot of content, but. I know that what I'm learning is useful and that is one of the biggest motivators you can ever have is knowing that this information has not only is it interesting but it has a there's a means to an end yeah um so I found that really 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 interesting um the last thing I'd probably ask you on how it's going so far is what would you say has been the biggest challenge so far what has been the worst part of the experience if you like because over here on this podcast we like to be <laughs> realistic and truthful so yeah. what would you say would be the worst part and then also is it something you've overcome is it something you're overcoming um yeah talk to me about that um I think with with a subject like social anthropology the danger with it is because we're I don't know because we see it in such a relaxed way because it's just a normal interest it's very difficult to make any of your points come across academic and mm. um, because it just sounds like an opinion it just sounds like a statement or or something like that you, it, it, I've struggled personally with kind of jazzing them up a little bit and just just kind of having evidence and supporting important things to go alongside my um my ideas um and like we, we have these tutorial discussions that we have to do each week and you know they're not it's, there's no pressure there's no like they're not marked or anything but it's mm -hmm. kind of like the only time during the week that we can submit something academic that again going along with like how unstructured everything is is very difficult to kind of apply yourself with a subject like this you know because it's yeah just, hobby <laughs> yeah yeah no exactly exactly um, ella how about you yeah i think just from a general uni perspective um you do this is a thing of you have to live by yourself and none of us mm. have properly done it before um Speak on it. we're living with initial strangers that in especially during a pandemic you talk know, about it we're we're stuck with the people that we are with and I am so lucky to have people like Emily and all of the people in my flat that you know <laughs> I've grown to love so much um but exactly. I think mentally preparing yourself and you know we could have never prepared ourselves for the you know the circumstances that we're in with COVID-19 but in general no matter if there was a pandemic or not we have to prepare ourselves for being with people that we may not normally interact with in everyday life, you know, people that we exactly. may not even like, people from everywhere under the under the sun. You know, we've got like people from nearly every, I've met someone from every single continent in the world wow. within however many weeks of being here. And we're all mm. in a city that we don't know. And you know, I think it's so beautiful. Um and I think it's also very challenging because we've never done it before. But yeah, um, I think, and being so far away from home, mm. like up from London coming to Edinburgh, you know, not even the same country as England, um, it is very hard. And I think just coming to terms with the fact that we're here and we're away, but we're here and this is our new lives. Um, and also making a family of the people that you have around you is so important. It's scary mm -hmm. and, you know, you've never done it before, but it's exciting. 
and um, yeah, it's so vital for the next progression of the however many years that you know, and maybe even more than four years that yeah. we're going to be in Edinburgh. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. That does. It's. It's really. Um, eye-opening yeah first of all I mean it's just the little things that you think you're ready for but Mm. you're not like my my example that I think about a lot is obviously I'm getting to a stage where the work is quite like is getting more and more intense as the weeks Mm. go by in terms of content and it's just small things like I actually have to take time out of my day to cook the food right Okay. Oh, right. And okay. this sounds minor, right? But two hours would have passed and you've mm. made your food and you've probably eaten half of it already. And it's just the idea that whereas I'm coming from home where obviously I, I would cook sometimes, I would bake sometimes, but realistically, I would do my work up until when it was time to eat. I would go and eat. Yeah, I would it wash would be served. I would, I would, like, and I would move on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, right. I wouldn't have to cut the vegetables, cook the meat, then I wash everything I Yeah. And it's just you don't realise how time consuming it is yeah. until it's you're in it. Fun. And it's like it's that balance exactly of I have a lecture to do, but I also cannot not eat because otherwise yeah. I will go mad. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> These small yeah. things that you're like, oh, I think I'll make this food that my mum makes. And then it doesn't taste the same because you're missing mm. this one thing that, like, you only don't have. Knows. Yeah. And only she knows. And only she knows where to buy it or, like, where she goes to buy it is far away. And am I going to go all the way there to get I'm waffling. But that is, <laughs> yeah, that is a very big deal for me. Guys, we have discussed the application process. What led our distinguished guests to wanting to study anthropology we have spoken about the degree and uni so far in general now the next thing that I'd like to discuss with my guests is their plans for the future because I think as much as it's really interesting to see their higher education experience what they're studying at the moment um, how they're enjoying it it's also good to see what their projections are for the future what are they interested in doing in the future and so on so whoever wants to go first tell us what are your plans after anthropology and if you have no plans say that (laughs) I was gonna say I feel like that's the dreaded question for every uni student it's kind of like well I've I've really planned my life up until this point since I can remember never Mm. really think much further I think it's different for you because you've got like you said a kind of um what's the word kind of Yes, like there's a path yeah, laid yeah. out already. Yeah. 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 Um where it leads you straight to where you want to be. Um whereas we don't have that, you know, like I don't think mm. many people that study social anthropology end up being social anthropologists. Yeah. Um yeah. I don't know whether or not that's what I want to do. I know that I when I think about my future, you know, we all have those moments. Dead at night, before you're going to sleep, you have a little fantasy and you think like, Oh, where do I see myself in like ten years? And yeah. that roughly my future consists of a lot more traveling, and mm. I I'm drawn quite a lot to uh, journalism, which oh, I cool. could tie into. I've always loved writing, um, and kind of like putting my own twist on on things and my own take. And I think that is a is a perfect thing to to tie tie in with uh, social anthropology because you can travel and you can. I mean, I could write for a travel magazine or like have articles and all sorts of things. But no, I don't have like a set route. I'm kind of a, a firm believer in, you know, finding yourself and like growing and letting those things come to you. Like I don't want to restrict myself by saying I'm going to do this one thing mm-hmm. and then only gear myself for that one thing so that if when I finally get it, I'm dissatisfied. I have no other options, you know. Um, I'm not a kind mm-hmm. of like put all your eggs in one basket kind of gal. Uh, so yeah. I'm like excited for the next four years to slowly kind of like find things that are becoming possibilities or like opportunities are coming up um, and kind of just falling along with them. Like I said, I kind of like the, the progression of kind of going with the flow and like the pathway opening itself up to you as you go. You know, that journey is, is, is quite powerful. And like when we're talking about, you know, cooking and everything you need, it's all a growth thing, isn't it? It's all a growth thing. Um, and I think exactly. comes a better understanding with your, of yourself and that also comes hand in hand with a better understanding of what you want to do and who you want to be 
um but it's not a decision I want to like sit down and be like this is me and that's it you know and mm. I allow myself to kind of be a little bit more fluid so I haven't really planned up until this point so we'll see where where it takes me <laughs> thank you that's a very realistic and truthful answer so thank you for that Ella where do I want to be well I think I've always really been interested in law and politics and I know they sound like you know really cliche answers of oh I want to do law because everyone does law and everyone does medicine and everyone does like slightly like political or something like that but um, mm. I think what I've noticed about my course is that it's not necessarily about the content that we learn, even though that is fascinating. Mm. It's about the tools that we have now to yeah. learn things in the future. Yeah. And anthropology mm. has definitely given me the kind of tools to go into like very niche but important fields. Um, so I've been really looking into, you know, the civil, the civil service and being on medical ethics boards for hospitals, um, you know, ethics boards for local councils, how to operate within communities, um, things like that. Um, also mm. being on advisory boards for law firms and making sure that they do everything right. And I think um, that's like one of the most important things that I've learned from my course so far is that I can go into really whatever I want. It's just giving me the tools to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm keeping my options open now. But yeah, I think I'm yeah. Keeping it, basically. <laughs> no, I like this is great. So I, I'm, I'm, I think it's so cool how there's obviously a variety of options for you guys. Um, and it's also realistic to demonstrate to people that you don't have to know straight away what the future holds for you as long as you're beginning to build up an idea based on your experiences and and choosing something that you'll enjoy is really really good so yeah the next thing I wanted to um, ask you guys about was in terms of your choice of your degree I was just wondering did you face any opposition to your decision were there any points of like even within yourself like am I sure that this is what I want to do or was it like full you know plain sailing all the way was there full support kind of thing what what do you guys think um I think with like most humanities um you do come across these people that don't take them as seriously um and you kind of think like oh it's just a cop out it's just a cop out um Mm. course or you know if it's not maths and it's not science and it's not a real subject you know someone should make up those kind of things um but I think the thing that I struggled with um probably the most um I not struggled with but just came across the most was that people really had no clue what it was yeah and Mm. you know it was kind of a constant challenge because you're like whoa what the hell is that um to kind of explain it and be like do I even understand it with myself like do I have there's no idea what it is you know it's kind of exactly yeah it's a good way to test yourself and be like is this what I really want to do and do I know enough Mm. about it um so I think I was lucky enough to kind of always have people that were like oh no that's really cool like I don't know what it is but it sounds fancy um (laughs) and then just kind of being quite supportive but you would get the odd few people and like, I went to a very academic school um, so most people were going in for maths and going in for biology and chemistry and physics and all these things um, and you know you kind of are not outwardly but you, you just you can sense you're put on a lower yeah. a lower pedestal just because mm. it's not as acclaimed in the the, the norm you know in, in mm. society it's not as well known so that must mean that it's yeah. not as respected um, but no, mm. most people are quite supportive. Yeah. Um, I I think most my family were definitely very supportive. They, I mean, my mom and dad both did art degrees, so as soon as I started picking up a book, they were like, "What are you doing? This isn't normal. Start painting. <laughs> this is weird." Um, and I always wanted. My nan was a midwife, and I always wanted to do medicine for a really, really long time. Then when it came to A-levels, I started doing chemistry. And within the first week, I, I dropped out. I just knew chemistry, you know, COVID, yeah. lost that. It wasn't for me. Um, 
since so, I don't blame you because right. that subject, that degree, uh, that, that, that A-level. The way I saw you in school, Omiya, you were dying. I thought mm. that's not for me. So, um, it was so bad. Oh my, there were, there were days when I thought it, it can't like, there must be more to life. <laughs> but yeah, no, carry on. Um, but yeah, I think like Emily was saying, uh, when you're doing a degree like anthropology or any humanities, it's always about, you know, I think the biggest battle is with yourself mm. and you mm. battling with all the stereotypes of, oh, this isn't a good degree because you're not going to be a lawyer, yeah. you're not going to be a doctor or an accountant. <laughs> and those are firm, you know, firm paychecks at the end of the day. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, but really, and what I notice is that do a degree that you love because at the end of the day, if you're if you love it, you're going to be good at it. Yeah. And exactly. if, if you come out with a good grade from it, yeah. that can prove that you can learn and you yeah. can take that wherever you want to go. And I just had to keep reminding myself that, you know, because everyone around me was doing, you know, stereotypically more prescriptive and more mm -hmm. important degrees. And I just thought, if I know that I'm going to love this, I can do well in it and I can do just as well as they're going to do in whatever they love. So. Yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah, exactly. And one of the one of the things that I've been wanting to highlight a lot with this series of podcasts is that the degrees you guys are doing have just as much power to change the world and to change the society yeah. we live in as the law workshop right. that I'm going to do or the medicine and dentistry workshop. I think it's a misconception and a trap that we can even fall into ourselves. I mean, during A-levels, because I did both sciences and I did a humanity politics, I won't deny it. I felt like the humanity was easier for me in terms yeah. of the, the workload, in terms of the amount of hours I had to put in to get the same outcome. Mm. So it it was it's definitely a thing that I want to raise awareness about and I want us to definitely keep having the conversation of the degree you do as long as you see yourself understanding and enjoying it you mm. should go for it um and I think it's really important for you guys to have come on today to really talk about um this the next thing and probably the final thing I want to talk to you guys about is um, in terms of representation, um, mm. both within race, within gender, socioeconomic background, all of these yeah. different factors. In terms of both your degree, your course, just from your personal observations, obviously, again, for those who are listening, this is Ella and Emily, this is what they've seen um, in terms of representation in your course, but also in your chosen field. So for example, the academics, the um the the future possibilities academic papers you were talking earlier about the accessibility of the papers for example yeah. so um if you guys maybe just want to delve into what is representation like within anthropology uh this actually makes me laugh quite a lot because i think mm. i think you'll both agree that as with most things and social anthropology is definitely mm. up there with one of them um it's very much dominated by all white oh yeah uh, very mm. much so uh you know like our our lecturers are quite diverse and i think yeah that nowadays it's getting more kind of accessible for people of color and you know you know they study that oh like we had a lecturer oh no a guest lecturer come in and his name was something Fogarty venezuela yeah and um mm. he studied his own background where was it again was it brazil, uh, brazil. It was brazil. brazil so he was brazilian and he studied his own background and it kind of, you know, makes you feel closer to your, your own heritage and whatever. But for mm. some of the readings that we're assigned, a lot of them have been, not all, but a lot of them have been older. Old, old white yeah. men. Old white men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like like and, many things in the world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I think one thing is, even though, you know, what these old white men are writing about is so important it's really interesting it does set the kind of precedent that i think and we address it a lot within our lectures mm. um anthropology and i think it's so important to know this whilst you're studying it and it was a personal battle for me when choosing the course was founded by an old white man who went to you know the pacific island yeah. saw a culture he didn't understand and was frightened by it yeah. and necessarily incited the kind of racism that was going around in the world oh, around them doing yeah 
Mm. exactly during the 1800s it's a very new field of research yeah. but it does come from very very you know controversial. yeah controversial just discriminatory yeah, roots for sure and I think even now some people would say like the kind of very PC kind of give you a bit of ag about you know mm. well isn't it a you know white white man going into a, a foreign country and kind of seeing them as just like study subjects yeah you know, just like yeah. lesser lesser people we go in we study their foreign ways and then go mm. back to them. And, and then write a paper about how the indigenous people, you know, handled their things and all of yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah, very yeah. important to note that that is not the the idea that social anthropology um kind of should be giving people. It's it's very much about a, a common understanding and bringing the world closer to each other. You know, like traveling around. Yes, that's one aspect of social anthropology. Like Ella said earlier, just with a clipboard in your own local area is mm. gonna you're gonna see so so many differences within one society like the inter yeah i know the interconnectedness of like the world is one thing but like within your own local area your own society like there are so many differences that we just pass off as like oh yeah just the norm and um, so i think it's, it's, it's just trying to raise awareness and um, cultural awareness and just bring bring people a lot closer to, to maybe others or to themselves um i think that's the main principle of social anthropology so um going back to representation like we were saying before social anthropology does have this kind of air around it that you know it's a flouncy degree that it doesn't really mean anything so you do overwhelmingly especially in like the top universities where anthropology is sometimes most exclusive to um as a subject because you know not all universities facilitate it um you do get lots of you know why mostly private schools, mm -hmm. financially comfortable, not even stable, comfortable, yeah. affluent people going into this degree and doing it as a degree. Maybe they, they definitely do love it, yeah. but um, it does kind of narrow the field of, you know, the people that are on your course. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I, what is extremely important is that increasingly within the course content and increasingly, increasingly as I meet people that are doing the course, we all do come from very different backgrounds, but it is still so important to, you know, make sure that diverse people are getting into this field. Yeah. Because if we have one mm. person that all looks the same who was studying this subject, the subject automatically becomes very dangerous. And it's the same for any subject, so like engineering, physics, mm -hmm. medicine. You have the same kind of person going into yeah. the same field automatically you have, you have a lack of diversity and yeah. thought and outcome perspective yeah so i think even though it is slowly becoming more diverse Slow. it still has a lot more further to go yeah. and it is so important especially if you know you love it and as a person mm -hmm. of color as a woman to go into a field that you enjoy even though it may not be the norm or you, yeah. you don't know what the outcomes of that course may be mm -hmm. if you enjoy it you are going to automatically diverse mm -hmm diversify the field that is there and succeed in what you're doing so yeah period period is <laughs> is honestly one of the most one of the things that i'm really really super passionate about because even for something like anthropology it's so crazy how anthropology is you're studying people how how can you study people well if the people who are doing the studying are not from a diverse background they're, yeah. they're only going to have one lens they're only going to have one yeah. view mm. and it's the same thing with law it's the same thing with medicine it's the same thing with, with any course you're doing the less diverse it is mm. the less it's going to be able to serve the general population right. in the future yeah. um so it's such an important point which is why i wanted to end on it um I really, really appreciate you guys for coming on the podcast to kick off the um, degree workshops any yeah, time. It's been so informative. And I suppose the last point I want to end on is, obviously, as you guys know, on Meet's Corner, we're going to have resources in the description box about everything that these guys mm. have talked about, plus any extra things that they think you would find useful. But one important thing I wanted to end on was if you guys had one piece of advice to give to either um, somebody who wants to study anthropology or maybe someone who is studying anthropology, 
what would be your top tip from I from both of you? It could be a resource that they should use. It could be something they should be reading about. It should be some advice they should take. Just anything. So one tip from both of you. Um, this isn't necessarily a resource or something you can go to, but it's definitely something you can go to within yourself. I think within mm-hmm. any kind of course, no matter if it's humanities or whatever, but also specifically social anthropology. It's a study of humans and often we find ourselves, you know, looking at human beings as an object or an animal that just does things because they do things. But this is a personal course and like any course, even in medicine, what you're doing, it's a personal course. It's about human beings. It's about lives. It's about how we relate to the world and putting our own perspective on things and contrasting, you know, how we would do things and our personal experiences of where we've been in life is so important and it's important to do that no matter what field you're in how how do you feel about it where could you see yourself within this scope um and applying you because we are all important and as individuals and especially with something like social anthropology you can't talk about other people without being a human and recognizing your humanity as yourself Mm -hmm. so yeah for sure um, mine kind of links to that as well. I think uh, a kind of phrase I like to take um, and draw upon in, in most aspects of my life is comparison is the thief of joy. Mm. Um, I cannot tell you where I found it, but I found it and I fell in love with it. And I think um, it really does it really does fit in with this topic because if you compare your course to someone else's, if you compare how you do your essays or anything like that to someone else's, um, it just defeats the purpose of social anthropology because, like Ella said, it's it's, it's, a, it's a personal thing. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you know, you've got to have this level of self-awareness and self-reflection because you have to be conscious of your own lens, your own perspective that you're putting on things. Um, and whilst you Absolutely. should look on things from your own life, you should also be very careful mm. with not kind of generalising those things, you know, and not being like, because this is the way I've always done it, this is how yeah. it is, yeah. you know, and being exactly. like, oh, someone else's way is just completely incorrect, you know, so I think it's just stepping around on those um, eggshells, because it can be very dangerous to fall into the, and I think we're all, we've all done, mm. you know, we've all done it um, at mm. times in our life, we just have to be more self-aware, and with social anthropology, um, it's very easy, like I said, to compare, um, compare things, but in a very objective way, compare yeah. things, um, yeah. As in, like, this is right, this is wrong, this is normal, this is different, you know? Um, so, mm. yeah, I would just say, remember, comparison is the thief of joy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow, two amazing tips from our amazing, <laughs> distinguished, highly favoured, fantastically knowledgeable, <laughs> I could go yes you you guys are just amazing i want to thank you guys so much for um coming on the podcast and talking to us about anthropology kicking off this series um and we're coming to a close now so um be sure to follow the podcast on instagram at omiers underscore corner also on twitter at omiers underscore corner i keep saying this but i don't feel like people are hearing me y'all need to get on my twitter and that's on <laughs> i retweet great stuff so you should really get on that um and um be sure to be following us on those social media platforms so that you can get the latest updates on when the next podcast will be and next week's degree workshop will be an amazing one that you don't want to miss i'll be interviewing Kristen, who studies film and television production so please be sure to be there or be square And that's it for today. Toodle pip.